0: You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace D.C. Network in Northeast D.C. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. When I moved to Dallas, Texas for seminary, I was a single man, uh, and my apartment reflected that reality. (laughs) Which is to say, I made peace with the mess in my apartment because it was my mess. And I knew generally how to find the things that I needed most of the time. I would leave dirty dishes in the sink if I didn't feel like doing dishes. Uh, I would let dirty clothes pile up if I didn't feel like doing laundry. And I really didn't spend much time thinking about beautifying my place because I had a practiced disregard for beauty in my apartment. <laughs> Many years of practice—you don't get good at that on your, you know, just just off the cuff. You got to practice, y'all, disregarding beauty. This is the way I lived when I was on my own. But when I married Vanessa and she moved in with me, all that began to change. It was no longer okay for me to make peace with the mess in my apartment because Vanessa lived with me and she expected a clean place. It was no longer okay for me to leave dirty dishes in the sink or to let dirty clothes pile up because Vanessa wanted a more functional and organized place. (laughs) Y'all don't clap like that when I'm preaching Jesus. Come on. (laughs) And when Vanessa moved in, she brought all of her stuff. And, and she began to unpack and beautify the place with pictures and decor. Now, she would move through our apartment like this. She would be like, "Ooh, we need a picture for that wall. We need flowers for this table. We need a candle for that nightstand. She just rolled through the place and just started doing her thing. Right. Uh, all this is to say that when Vanessa moved in and unpacked, the apartment went through a much needed change. And many people live life on their own terms and their lives reflect that reality. They make peace with the mess in their lives. They leave certain dirty corners in their lives. And they let life inconsistencies pile up because they don't feel like doing the difficult inner work. They don't really spend any time beautifying their lives morally or ethically because they have a practiced disregard For beauty in their lives. But when you come to know the Lord, He sends the Holy Spirit to move in, to dwell with you, to to live in your life, and things begin to change. It's no longer okay to make peace with the mess in your life because the Spirit lives with you and He expects a clean place. It's no longer okay to leave dirty corners in your life or to let life inconsistencies pile up because the spirit wants a more functional and organized you. And when the spirit moves in, he brings all of his stuff with him and he begins to unpack and to beautify your place with the moral and ethical virtues of the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins to move through your life like Here's some righteousness for that sin of yours. And, and, and you know what? Here's some peace for that anxiety that you have. And, and here's some resurrection hope for that despair that you're under. When the spirit moves in, he begins to unpack so much of the goodness of the Lord Jesus in your life. That's how the process of change in the Christian life takes place. The spirit is unpacking the luggage that he acquired those 33 years of empowering and walking with the Lord Jesus in his earthly life and ministry. And it's, it's those virtues, it's that moral framework that he wants to unpack in your life. When the Spirit moves in and unpacks the life of Christ in you, your life goes through a much-needed change. And in our text for today, we're going to take a look at two of the precious items, the significant pieces of luggage that the Spirit unpacks when he moves into your life. And we're going to see that the Spirit unpacks freedom and the Spirit unpacks resurrection life. So those are our two points for today. The Spirit unpacks freedom and the Spirit unpacks resurrection life. So let's look at our first point. The Spirit unpacks freedom. Now, in many ways, this is this is a message for you if you're a Christian, if you're considering Christianity, or even if you're a non-Christian to understand what Christians believe about the process of change, because there are a lot of misunderstandings, I think, in in the broader culture as it relates to what it is that Christians believe. So we, we want you to get an inside look at how it is that Christians think about the Christian life and change and moral and ethical obligations and all that kind of thing. This is all connected today. But if you look at verse one, take a look at verse one. It says this. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's important to note that every time you see the phrase in Christ, every time you encounter this little phrase in scripture, you should think of the connection that the spirit gives us to Jesus and all of his benefits. Spiritual is not an ethereal category for the Christian to be spiritual is to to be related to the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. It is to say That we are bound to Jesus, that we receive all of his benefits through the connection the Spirit produces between us and Jesus. Every time you see in Christ, you should think of the Spirit doing that connecting work. And in this verse, we can see the freedom that the Spirit unpacks for us. Do you see it? We are free from condemnation. We are free from condemnation. Now, it's important for us to understand and appreciate that Paul is not saying here that there is therefore now no cause for condemnation. He knew there was cause for condemnation in his life, and we ought to know it as well. One brief scan of our social media accounts or, or our thoughts or our commutes when we're on the road to work, one brief scan ought to let us know That there is cause for condemnation in us. If there was a public display of your inner thoughts over the last week, there would be clear evidence for you and me that there is cause for condemnation in us. And yet, the text tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are free. The text does not say that there is, therefore, now no failure for those who are in Christ Jesus because we will fail. The text doesn't say that there is, therefore, now no struggle for those who are in Christ Jesus because we will struggle. The text doesn't say there is, therefore, now no weakness for those who are in Christ Jesus because we will experience weakness. What the text is telling us is that despite our failures, despite our struggles, despite our weakness, there is still no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the freedom that the Spirit unpacks in your life. And when you know that freedom, it begins to make a difference in the way that you relate to other people. Do you see the freedom that the Spirit unpacks in our lives when he binds us to Christ? Think about it. Think about our lives right now. You may be weary and discouraged, but you're not condemned when you're in Christ. You may be uncertain and confused, but you're not condemned when you're in Christ. You may be spitefully judged by others, but you're not spitefully judged by God when you're in Christ. You might be accused by others. They may drag your good name through the mud, but you are not accused by God. And he upholds your name when you're in union with Christ. He upholds you. Do you know that you're in Christ like Noah was in the ark when the storm came together and they were untouched in the ark? That you're in Christ like Israel was in the blood covered houses and the destroyer could not enter? Do you know that you're in Christ like Jonah was in the fish and brought out of a watery grave to be put on dry land? I want you to hear me. You're not sort of free, you're not somewhat free. You're not 50% free. You are completely free of condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's good news. It doesn't matter what you did, who you did it with, or what you've done. There is no condemnation. None, zip, zilch, nada, nothing left. And when you live in communion with God by the Spirit, you come to own these truths more and more at the identity of and behavioral levels. Only the gospel, I want you to see, gives you the freedom to admit who you really are and to have confidence that you will be loved anyway. In Christ, you can be absolutely honest and absolutely beloved. You can be candid without condemnation. In Christ, this is an important point. I want you to hear me. In Christ, you don't work for love, You work from love. That's a game changer. How many people do you know who never feel quite sure that they are loved and they do all kinds of things? They take up all kinds of pursuits in order to get just a little taste, maybe even just a little glimmer of being wanted, of being loved, of someone wanting to have them around. That's working for love. There is a form of working for love in which we try to do our very best on our job. And we try to build our resumes because we want some employer to love us, to want us. The gospel tells you, you don't have to work for love. You get to work from love every day when you wake up. The first notion that should come to your mind is I am God's beloved. And today I get to live in the freedom of being loved. I don't have to worry. That's not something I have to, some elusive thing out there that I have to go try and, you know, lay hold of. It's not like looking for where is Waldo or trying to catch a Pokemon. I don't even know how that works, but I hear people look for Pokemon and he's hard to find. <laughs> That's not what the love of God is like. It's not like that. It's yours, full possession, full stop, every day, all day. And it will be forevermore. And you don't have to fear. Once you have God's love, you don't have to fear that you will lose it. You know why? The surest proof that God will never stop loving you is the fact that God never began. His love is eternal. He loved you before the world began. His love is timeless and ageless for his people. That's the love he lays on you, particularly, especially he knows your name. That's good news. He is the spirit of adoption. You hear me? He's the spirit of adoption who is constantly in your ear telling you, you are not condemned. You are beloved. And I want to say something after this ambulance goes past because I want you to hear it. It's important. Okay. Listen to this. This is important. If the voice that you hear in your ear regularly does not address you as beloved, It is not the voice of the Spirit. That's important when it comes to sorting out direction in life and following God. Because a lot of times, we have many different voices in our heads. It might be our own voices, our own self-speak. It could be the voice of our evil opponent who wants to destroy us. But if that voice does not address you as beloved, it's not the voice of the Spirit. Because that's one of His primary works. We're going to see that next week. To convince you that you're... A child of God to do that work in your heart to set you free. This is the freedom that the Spirit unpacks in your life. And when He does unpack this freedom from condemnation and you begin to adjust to this reality, you are less likely to be the kind of person who likes to condemn other people for their sins. That's a practical thing. I want you to know here today, if you are exploring Christianity, that it is not a Christian vision for how Christians are to navigate the world if all you've experienced from Christians is condemnation. Because if we are a people that delights to lay condemnation on other people, our actions are not aligning with our message, which is there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And our work is to invite people to welcome people into that hopeful truth, into that, that broad reality. Come on in and see what it's like. To be free of condemnation. And when you're free from condemnation of God, all the other lesser condemnations that you experience horizontally, it doesn't mean they don't hurt, but they surely take their proper place. And they they appear much smaller when other people scrutinize you, when other people want to pick at you and, and pick you apart. You know, I realize many of you are paid critics. That's what you get paid to do, to scrutinize. And it's hard to get out of that mode from your, vo- your vocation when it comes to everyday life and how you deal with people. We are we're, we're more practiced at condemning one another and, and, and laying heavy burdens on one another than we are at inviting one another into this freedom. That, that's, that's an important message for us to hear. Your work as a missionary in this world, Christian, is not to cast clouds of disapproval over your non-Christian neighbors. It is to give them a taste of the freedom and love that found you and to invite them to receive it, to walk into it, to enter into it, to welcome it through faith in Christ. We should be a taste of the no condemnation freedom that we have received for our neighbors. And we must be careful to ensure that our ways do not contradict our message. But not only does the spirit unpack freedom when he moves in, He also unpacks resurrection life, which brings us to our final point. The spirit unpacks resurrection life. And you can see this in verse 11. If you take a look, verse 11, it says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, Through the flow of the text, we see that the way in which God can remove condemnation from you is that he actually lays his condemnation on sin when he judged Jesus Christ in your place. That's why there's no condemnation for you, because Jesus absorbed it all. But God is not finished with your life once he has taken away the impact of your sins legally and forensically before God. He wants to actually renew you. He wants to transform you. He wants to beautify you. He wants to to make you stronger and weaker at the same time. He wants to get you to walk with a limp. He wants you to be tender toward your neighbors. He wants you to serve without grumbling or patting yourself on the back every time you do something for someone else. He wants to actually change you. Jesus died not only to take away the guilt of our sin, but to break its power over our lives and to resurrect Christian virtue, Christian practices, and a Christian heart within us. That's what he wants to do. And that resurrection life is imparted by the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Do you have troubles believing today that you can change? I want you to think about Holy Saturday in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And I want you to look at that situation. It could not have been more bleak. And God was sending a message to us to echo down through time. When he flexed resurrection power, it was an echo that reverberates through history that lets anybody who's facing any despairing circumstances or situations to know that God can do his thing in your situation. You don't need to despair. If God's raising people from the dead, he's doing anything he wants to do. And you... You, that hope is yours. <laughs> That's your inheritance as a Christian. That belongs to you. You should start laying claim to what belongs to you through union with Christ. It's yours. God has sent his spirit to move into our lives. And this is the guarantee that we can and we will be changed. Let me close it down with this, this quote by uh In the book, Road to Character, David Brooks makes this following statement. He says this. He says, it occurred to me that there are two sets of virtues, the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the skills you bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral. Whether you were kind, brave, honest or faithful, were you capable of deep love He continues, he says, we all know that the eulogy virtues are more important than the resume ones, but our culture and our educational system spend more time teaching the skills and strategies you need for career success than the qualities you need to radiate that sort of inner light. Many of us are clearer on how to build an external career than on how to build inner character. I think that is a very insightful observation. And what our text is telling us today is that eulogy virtues are the product of resurrection life. That's it. And this is what the spirit unpacks in our lives. And I want to close down by saying this. I just want to refer to this illustration. and I want you to think about it. Whenever someone moves in with you, you have to lose some of the stuff in your house to make room for them. And it's a similar thing when it comes to life in the spirit. There are certain things You got you got an old IKEA couch in your life that needs to go. In fact, all your IKEA furniture needs to go because that ain't nothing but the devil's handiwork. I've lost so many years of sanctification trying to put together IKEA furniture. It ain't right. I, I would be much more mature today if it weren't for IKEA. Okay, but there are some there. There is some beat up furniture in your life that needs to go. There, there are some drab pictures up on the wall that need to be changed. You get the metaphor that I'm saying? The spirit is moving in and he's saying, I got the goods to beautify this place, but you're going to have to make room for me. It doesn't mean everything of yours has to go. There are certain amazing things about your personality and your strengths and your skill set that are going to stay. But there are other immaturities and dysfunctional ways of being that need to go. And he wants to make room to bring all of the beauty and goodness of Jesus into your life. So a good way for you to think about this text this week is, one, what would my look? It's imaginative work, y'all. I always try to give you imaginative work because your imagination is the fulcrum of change. That's the fulcrum of change, your imagination. I want you to imagine what your life would be like if you were free from one or two things that are really shackling you, hemming you up, tying you down. What would your life begin to look like if you were really free of those things? Okay, that's one. Two, I want you to spend some time with the with the Lord and ask the question, what furniture do I need to get rid of in my life to make better room for you to 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 lay out your stuff, which is all the glory and beauty and moral efficacy of the Lord Jesus? Those are two things I want to encourage you to think on and reflect on this coming week. And let's make it our prayer that the Spirit would continue to unpack freedom and resurrection life in us, not only as individuals, but as a community. Amen? Let's pray.